Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creative... Then the next block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. (laughs) Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until... I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. (laughs) Thank you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. Ego in check, me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a date. (laughs) It's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and happy Mardi Gras. And welcome to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft and career. Today, I'm joined by drag legend Cindy Pastel. In the bohemian world that is drag, few artists can lay claim to the exalted and ebullient eccentricity that is Cindy Pastel. The alter ego of performer Richie Finger, Cindy has been delighting, thrilling and astonishing audiences for close to 45 years. Guided through life by a signature catch cry, Is Everybody Happy? Pastel has ensured that we are always a satisfied audience. A unique talent, Finger has inspired generations of drag performers who have followed in his fabulous footsteps, whether they be in stilettos or skates. Following a most fabulous career and becoming a father, the celebrated film Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, entered Richie Finger's world. His life story inspiring the character of Tick, played by Hugo Weaving. Finger travelled to London and the Cannes Film Festival to promote the film and further his own adventure. His story is captivating and engages with the same charisma and element of surprise that defines his drag persona. It was indeed a great pleasure and privilege to spend an hour with Richie Finger and Cindy Pastel. The taxi's waiting He's blowing his horn Already I'm so lonesome I could cry So together and when I gave up the booze he was like so we just kissed that one goodbye and I said what and he said our friendship and he's like you don't have to be like that and we had a break and I understood exactly what he meant because as soon as I cut it off cut off drinking the friends and everything were just dropping off me and and I could understand it because I'm I was like that, but we we rekindled and got it all back together. Was, was that that was the common glue, I suppose? Absolutely, 
that that's what you're all doing together. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're dying of fucking AIDS at the same time, you know, and getting through it and living and everything. But at the time, you didn't know. You didn't know if people were going to pull through, who was going to pull through. Like we lost Natasha um, and a whole lot of other people from Perth to it. And it was like, how the fuck did we just keep going and just keep producing incredible shows and amazing creativity making art making art or for people to make them happy at a time that was so fucking mm. well I, I read somewhere that you know at that time of AIDS we've met before uh, briefly through Mark right yeah yeah okay yeah. and I, I watched you from afar on the stage as a oh birth. okay yeah yeah at the Aubrey uh, no in Perth at in the, Perth alright oh, okay at the court the dirty old court. Yes, but but I read that to, you know during that um, periods of the AIDS epidemic, you you likened uh, being on the microphone mm. as some sort of catharsis for you, some way to cope, some way to, you know, you likened yourself to an Andrews Sisters during yes, World War Two. Right. Yes, that's right. Oh, and that was it was so true. And uh, I was you know I was the chosen girl to to do it all. Um, get me on a microphone half pissed and just like in a room full of people that were halfway there themselves and we just got you know I just had this connection with people and it was like well this is what I'm cho you know and then I'd wake up the next day and think yeah fuck you know I've got another funeral to go to da, da, da. and I remember just sitting there one day and I thought oh, I'll just write down everyone I've lost just yeah, that one's gone and you know I got to 27 people yeah and that's my lucky number. And I said, that'll do. Time to stop. Time to stop. Put it down and then a couple of years later, still losing. So, my God, you know, it'd be, it'd be hundreds of people that I knew. Not that, you know, they were, you know, close personal friends, but just acquaintances and fans. So many fans. You know, and on Facebook, you can go to my photo section there's thousands. I haven't got one photo. Not one. People just send them to me, like, randomly from... that they find that they've got, you know, oh, fuck, this thing you Like, oh, you know, you just can't... You just couldn't believe it. Are you, we're, we're going now? We're going now, Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, we're on. No, well, good. from the moment I walked into your lovely home... Yeah. You you've, haven't stopped with the story, so it's... Uh, and it's I was worried that I wouldn't have anything to talk about. Oh, no, you're fine. That's good. So, Richie Finger, yeah. a.k.a. Cindy Pastel, uh, thank you for having me in your home. and um, Absolutely. And this trip down memory lane. Yes. Because it's been something like, as, as we hear the Lion King in the background, one of your neighbours is playing the Lion King. That'd be Aisha from Lay Girls. All oh, right. She likes the show tune? Oh, she loves the show. She brought up, she'd be, in her set, she'd be about 74 now, Aisha. Right. Um... And um, when I got this place, it was like through a beautiful queen called Russell Westacott, who works at the, oh, I don't bloody know what it's called, AIDS, blah, 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 blah. And he said, oh, I've got, got your place. I said, no, I haven't got AIDS. <laughs> and he said, no, no, we look after people that have looked after us. And I thought, oh, that made sense, because I have. I've done so many benefits and shit, you know. If I got 50 bucks for every benefit I've done, I'd be a millionaire. Um, but he, he said, I've, you know, I've heard that you've been trying to find a place because 
my missus threw me out after you know using too much fucking drugs and stuff and no it was when I was drinking and that was a part of the plan to stop when she said you know and she, she, was, she was so matter of fact about it she said if you don't stop drinking you know I'm not bringing Adam up in a in a in a household with a drunk and I was like uh yeah I'm with you on that because I come from an alcoholic ba background and I knew exactly what she was talking about and I said yeah okay then well I better go eh because I wasn't giving up not in those you know it hadn't hit me yet so, you know I hadn't so um that was the you know the, the nail in the coffin for me to stop and um and then Mark, and then I saw Russell Westcott, and he said, "I heard you've been looking." I said, "Yeah." So he got me this. Please come and have a look at this place. And I came here, and I opened the door, and it was in the corner. There was a, a, a bit of foam rubber, and a pillow. And I just thought, "Yeah, you know what, Mister Old, had a little nap." And when I woke up, I opened the door, went outside, and here's fucking Asia at the, at the front door, basically. And I went, "Hello, love." fuck are you doing here? I said, I'm moving in here. She said, you're joking. And we'd been mates forever. So we were just like best mates and look out, look out for each other. Keep to ourselves, but we're always there for each other, you know. So everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah, they're also fucking jealous too. That we've got such, you know, we've just got such good rapport with each other. Uh, many folks wouldn't know who Happy Hammond was. Oh my God! Mark's working there at the at that place now at, in in Melbourne, right? Where the Happy Hammond, where the Terex Club Terex show was on. Yeah, yeah. This weekend, and I went, no, can you believe it? Because you borrowed Happy Hammond's catchphrase, didn't you? Is everybody uh, happy? Uh, did, Although uh, I think a few entertainers have used that. They that have. Line. They've yeah. used it, but that's where I got it from originally. Yeah, Happy Hammond and Princess Panda. Hello, so, I think your neighbours called it, in. Is it the beautiful Aisha? It is, darling. Hello, my darling. We're on the radio, love. Oh, are oh, we? Hello, Aisha. What country are we in? Well, are we? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to think about I'm that. I'm Peter, how are you? Hello, Peter. Peter. Nice to meet you. You've got the Lion King going. Yeah, I just woke up. You, well, you, well, I just woke up too, darling, so that's good. We're just talking about you, love. Aisha worked at the, well, lived at the Aubrey too. Yeah. All right. And um, they had apa uh, apartments upstairs yeah. today. Right. I might put the fan on, love. You're sweating like an old pig, are you? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those humid Sydney days. It is a bit. Put the illustrious fan on. Do you want a cup of tea, girlfriend? I'd love one, girl. Good on you, love. All right. Well, keep going, Pete. As I said, I really don't know what we're going to talk about. Oh, look, I, we it hasn't haven't stopped. We, it hasn't been a struggle so far. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is this is the glory of podcasting. We we can uh, take it as it comes. And what a treat to have Aisha. Ah, oh, a treat. <laughs> An absolute treat. And what? And you can still hear me if I'm in the kitchen, can't you? Yeah, I can still hear you. Yes. Oh, Absolutely. The wind's blowing the microphone now, but that's fine. I'll just move that so it's... Uh, this is... Uh, Mark goes off to make a cup of tea and uh, for Aisha, so who's popped up from, from downstairs. And that's the kettle you can hear boiling as uh, 
<laughs> Richie's gone off to, to talk to where he's showing the balcony. I'll just wait for him to come back any any moment. Thank you, friend. You want black Aisha? Three sugars? Three sugars for Aisha. It's a lot of sugar, isn't it? Isn't that beautiful fan hitting you? That is. It's uh, it's Jet Force. Fifteen bucks, Woolworths, right. probably ten years ago, fallen down off shelves, done everything, still goes. Yeah. Unbelievable. I'm going to write to the Mister and just say you have saved my life. No, Gimplex. The, the Bee Gees would love that. The Bee Gees. The Bee Gees. You know, just do a film clip in the wind. All right. With everything blowing about. All right, with your cravats. Yep, cravats and long hair. Kettle's still boiling. Happy Hammond. Happy Hammond. Panda and all that chul. Oh my God. That's Co when I got a stiffy. The first time I got a stiffy, I think. Right. Seeing Princess Panda in it. I was like, dressed like that's <laughs> about five. Well, of course, they're very Melbourne personalities, weren't they? And you grew up in Melbourne, and that was Absolutely. that was on the box. Yeah, yeah, it certainly was. Mark even went on to Carrick. I was so jealous. This is we're talking about Mark Trevorrow, of course, aka Bob Down. Mark was a guest uh, late last year on the podcast. Um, this is very unusual. It's very exciting, actually. I've not happened on the podcast before that we've had a a lay girl celebrity pop into the interview and a cup of tea being made. Retirement home for Queen. Retirement home going? for Queen, says <laughs> Aisha. This is, uh, this is live podcasting, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, and showbiz. Um, it is Mardi Gras week after all. This is uh, Richie Finger, the, the, the third and finale of the trio of uh, guests I've had to open the season five of the podcast. Um, Aisha's just getting a cup of tea. Sit your bum on there. There you go. That's a little trick in there. You've got your bags. Yeah. Your gun. Thanks, Aisha. Now feel free to, to chip in, Aisha, if you. Oh, please do, yeah. Why? <laughs> How much am I getting? Now, do you want a chocolate licorice? No, thanks, darling. Would you like one? I do. I'm very fond of bullets. I love a good bullet. I love a bullet, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we're having now, licorice bullets. I've got bullets. everything, I'll get my bags. And then you better get, um, blow it out get relaxed again. Are you sure you want your bullet? No, thanks, no you're right. Where's Peter? Yeah, Peter, yep, yep. You got another smoke? I've got another smoke. All right. Something we can't live without. Yes, we both. Oh, do you still <laughs> smoke, Aisha? Yes. Yeah. I'll be stopped. smoking the day I die, love. Well, good. <laughs> right. I'll move that mic back. Oh, got a bit of wind there. Not oh. you. There we go. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so everybody's happy now. Everybody's got a cup happy. of tea, got a cigarette, and a licorice bullet. Absolutely. So, um, how did Richie Finger become Cindy Pastel? Oh, inhaling, exhaling. Um, she became Cindy Pastel after she was Barbie Mattel. And um, I was tripping and I was reading a book on dolls and I thought, I swear, my God, 
Barbie's got a little, little youngest sister called Cindy. I, was, I had no idea. Right. And I looked at myself in the mirror and said, you're too old to be Barbie. You have to be Cindy. <laughs> so that was it. <laughs> I went, went to Patches and said, I've changed my name, Trixie. What is it to now? And, and because my first name was Facile Facade that I got out of a di- uh, out of a dictionary, uh, dictionary when I was tripping. So I thought, that's, that sounds very French, doesn't it? Facile Facade. And Trixie said to me, "Listen, love, you're going to have to change that fucking name." She said, "I can't say it." She called me Facile Facade. Facile Facade. And all right, so then I became Barbie Mattel. Barbie for a while and then we came Cindy Pastel and uh, the pastel thing comes in from it was uh, my other partner in in crime at the, at the time was Miss 3D and she was known then as Miss 3D UV 83 and I thought oh, you were UV I don't know. I'll do pastel colours because pastel colours um uh, UV under UV lights. You start off as pastel, but then you put the UV light on, and they just go bing. So I thought that's better than her fucking UV daylight colours. <laughs> so that's why I became Cindy Pastel, and uh, she's been that. Well, well, how long have I been doing it now? About oh, three about years. Three years. About three years. Forty-three. Forty-three. Sorry, sorry about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, so uh, doing drag. It's about having two faces, isn't it? It is about having your day two face faces. and your your show face. Oh shit, yeah! But I prefer to look at the uh, the show face and the the one that I've got at the moment. Let me tell you, mind you, I can't fucking do my makeup because I'm going blind. I can't see it. I can't can't do all the intricate work that I used to be able to do very freely, and just you know, it's just all gone. Yeah. I don't. It's a bit hard to do your eye makeup when um, you've got glasses on. That's it. But they've made these things where you can flip out the glass things and you can do it like no, too much work for me. No. And, or I just get somebody else to do it. And, I, you know, they could do an absolute shit-ass job, but I wouldn't know because I'm blind. Uh-huh. Right. So, yeah. uh, Richie, Cindy, what do you prefer? Couldn't care less, love. All right. Shithead, do. <laughs> hey, shithead, what about the time you did this? Aisha, uh, what, do you, what do you call him? Pastel. 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 Pastel is good because it's sort of like, you know, non-gender or whatever that word is. And um, here we are in the Pastel Palace. In the Pastel Palace, yes. So, so Pastel, how how do you describe your performance style? Um, Well, it's all over the shop, a bit like myself. I could do deep and meaningful or I can do very, very funny, you know, so... I'm gifted in that way that I can do can do both. Did you have a, a signature tune that you work with all the time? I know Xanadu was very Xanadu was the biggie. Well. Yeah, we liked we liked doing Xanadu. Um, I like doing the Way of Love by Sure. For the way of love is a way of woe, and the day may come. Then what will you do when it sets you free? Just the way that you said goodbye to me. 
Time favorite because it only goes for a minute and 45. <laughs> so I could spend three and a half hours dressing to look absolutely fabulous for, for a minute and something, and then go off and think, well, you've done it. And it would bring the house down. Your influence on Sydney Drag and a, a generation, generation of performers is, is undeniable. But I've read that uh, you often felt that you didn't fit into the scene, is that right? Um, when I when I decided to um, become Mr. Bisexual, not that I'd be, I was, I was rooting girls before I was doing boys. Oh, no, that's a lie, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, look, when, yeah, when I did bisexual, the bisexual thing, um, it started out brilliant. It ended up, Trixie said, come on, we're having a sh- baby shower and we're going to do this. And, we, and it was all going really fabulous. And then when he popped out and everything it was like uh, it started to sort of people started sort of dropping off only because they'd never been in that position before mm. having this screaming queen of a drag queen suddenly becoming you know quite reserved and father-like a father-like figure and everything it was um it that was all about having two faces but it was about you know i i I do remember when I was started to do drag, I sort of looked at myself, I was 22, and I was a you know, cute boy, and I thought, you know what, this is going to be the downfall of <laughs> ever finding another, ma- finding another man, yeah. because um, it wasn't, it was sort of like, no, oh, drag queen, no, no, drag queen, drag queen, and when, once I became well known as oh, that drag queen from Patches it was like you know I, I just didn't get any any boys that were interested in having an affair or, or whatever and I wanted to love somebody and then Karen came along and we did we well, we, well, we had a baby and so had you always wanted to be a parent? no 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 but once it was um, thrust in front of me it was like yeah let's Let's do it. Come on. So we did it. And um, look where it got us. <laughs> I've got a millionaire with millions of dollars. <laughs> and my you know, name all over the world. And hello, Queen of Priscilla. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Your story proved to be the inspiration for uh, the character of Tick. Yes. In Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yeah, and as much as I can moan and groan about that whole affair... Of not, you know, reading the the fine prints and signing away. Well, signing away, fucking nothing, really. I just sort I got no money for it. But at the same time, I had, you know, I had sort of like really fabulous things with total big, you know, especially in Perth when I was living in Perth. Like, there's a Seahorse Club yep. members. Yep that would turn up and I mean you know I'm not saying anything but they're not you know they're no supermodels are they you know? <laughs> no Al McPherson's for and the listener describe but what they the would say to me is. they would say to me right. I started doing this because of you I saw you in the documentary ladies please 
and you just you know you just well, I was going to kill myself I was going to do this and that and I, I have all these incredible stories from people that I didn't even know and then you know like I became a huge fan of um, uh, of um, Shane the, what's his other name Shane who's now um, uh, Courtney Act and when I first met Courtney, I was like, oh, darling, I just think you're so fabulous. I've been, you know, following him. I was a huge fan of his. And he said, and he just said to me, but if, he said, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be doing it. And I said, me? And he said, yeah, so I saw you in Ladies, Please. And he said, yes, it was it. It was like, that's it. And I had a whole lot of people, like, really fabulous entertainers that thought the same thing, that, they, you know, like... That's what I want to be, Mum. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to be. Those sort of things, you know, you can't, you can't bottle that and sell it. You know, it's just too, it's too precious. Yes, that that must be a great uh, fill the heart to, to know that you've inspired. And, and because when we were doing it, it, was like, oh shit, you know, you get the shits because you did your eye makeup wrong or something, and you're thinking all, you know, what am I going to wear? Doing all this, not realizing that <laughs> down the line, this whole thing is for a reason not just because you fucked up your eye makeup you know and you're not happy with that you know it's like it's more than that and um yeah because um because when i'm dead and gone they could be still people be still picking up and watching ladies pleasing and be able to sort of like you know who who was that fabulous queen well yes they don't have to be a bricklayer anymore they can be a stunning drag queen (laughs) (coughs) did you did you have a career as a bricklayer for a while oh no no (laughs) <laughs> no, but I, no had, I had a crush on one. <laughs> I, did, I did a fancy one. Now, I've, um, my after after having the cerebral hemorrhage, it was like a part of me was like, I want to do this, I want to do that, and it was like, you're fucking hopeless. You can't do anything. You can't add up. You can't do anything. So I have, you know, a little bit of problem with that. You know, I, I just saw that um, the beautiful Chelsea Bun from. House of Priscilla is looking for staff to to work um, during Mardi Gras, and I said, "Oh, I could do that." And I, you can't even fucking add up, and, and I can't even go near a till. They scare me. And what the fuck can I do? And so I just wrote, "Look, I'd love to help out, darling, but I can't." But listen, I, I can do precise Xanadu spins <laughs> if anyone's interested. <laughs> Cerebral hemorrhage—that must have been a uh, a shock for you. Well, not, not really. I do remember that I was in drag, and I do remember that um, I had it was a, on a Monday night, and it was called uh, Cindy's Tragic Mondays at the Aubrey Hotel. And I'd come along, and they'd win 50 bucks. Uh, the winner would win 50 bucks, and a night out with Cindy Pastel. That was the, that was their prize, and that was what it was. And so I'd go and I'd take their fifty bucks and say, "See ya," <laughs> and then go out and have a good time. Um, but anyway, so I was at the Exchange Hotel, yeah, and I was. Um, uh, chain reaction came on. The, uh, DJ put on Chain Reaction, and I got up and I was dancing, and somebody gave me a bottle of Amel, and I dropped it apparently, and then. A, one of the barmen said the music is so loud if you can remember the exchange hotel it's so loud the exchange is like boom 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 and he said we actually heard your head hit the ground so it must have been so fucking loud 
And so my head hit the ground, they came and they took me away and I went to tea. I do remember being in the ambulance because um, Doreen Magnanini came with me to the hospital and she had a dress that she made out of alfoil, like just, she literally just got it and rolled around and made it. And I remember sitting with the lights of the ambulance going on from red to blue to red to blue. And I said, oh, that's the most beautiful dress. I thought it was absolutely beautiful. And then just, and then I blacked out. And then the next thing I remember was I woke up and I had burnt orange. I love the way I say burnt orange. It just couldn't be orange. It had to be burnt orange. <laughs> nail polish on. And I thought, oh, fuck, you're in drag. And I got all really sort of defensive and like paranoid about being in drag in a hospital, thinking about what was wrong with me, the ailments or anything, just like, oh, I've been sprung. Like, I'm trying to hold my feet. And they saw me moving and they went, Richie? And I went, yeah. They said, you've been in a coma. No, really? With all these staples in my head, and I was feeling my head. It was like big staples in my head where they'd literally cut my head open and taken my brain out, and taken, <laughs> taken the blood clots on and thrown the fucking thing back in. Sewn it up and said, good luck, and, and that was it. And, um, yeah, so we were a bit slow, and we're still a bit slow, and we can't do anything too technical. But, but yeah. Was that a bit of a wake-up call to you for the lifestyle that you were living? Um, yeah, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> for a while. <laughs> we did that for a while. Um, but what do I say, for a while? I haven't had a drink in 30 years. Of course it fucking worked. Yeah. You know, it took me a while to to get on board and sort of do, do something about it because, you know, that, that was my pay. Um, it was like, I think, something like $35 a night at Patches if I remember rightly, and four drink tickets. And I remember when I got the four drink tickets, I said, what are these for? Go ahead and drink. I didn't drink. So that was the... Um, the starter. That was the starter. It was like four to three drink tickets. And um, if they hadn't offered me the four drink tickets, I probably wouldn't have ever drunk. Yeah. I don't, I, I, to, to this day, I don't know. But anyway, you know. What sort of kid was the young Richie like? Oh, he's beautiful. I think. Absolutely beautiful little boy. Come from a horse racing family, see? So my father was a jockey. Both my brothers, who were older, were jockeys. And we were um, quite influential in, uh, um, in Melbourne. And, um, and then, you know, the little, little Richie comes along. And I've got no interest in horses. I, you know, they, horses hated me. They'd step on me, bite me, do everything. And my father was like, I was named after my father, so he wanted me to be like him, a jockey. And I remember I was riding a horse to the track. So he brought us three boys up exactly the same way because he didn't know any other way. And um, I remember being riding a horse to a track one day. It was probably four o'clock in the morning. And I'm looking up at the sky. It was a beautiful blue velvet sky with with diamonds in the sky, all the beautiful beautiful sparkling and I just looked up there and I said look if there is such a god up there can you please make me grow because I was little and then suddenly within you know within a year I just shot up and I was 
I was taller than any of my family, even my mum. I was going to say, you're a bit tall for a jockey. Yeah, and I was tall and sort of like, thank fucking Christ for that because I didn't want to be a jockey. And so and another thing I was thinking about, fourth grade at school and I got a letter to take home to my mum, mum and dad, and, um, you know, I was dying to know what was in it and then mum read it and said, you won't be riding track work anymore. And I went, well, because you've been falling asleep. Class, and so that stopped all of that. So you know, I was blessed in that way because it just wasn't the, it wasn't my life. So you know, the the, I was known as the black sheep. The black sheep um, doesn't know what to do with himself and was just like out there on a limb. And you know, I'd just be playing music and and doing things. And they left me alone. They didn't keep you know. They didn't hassle me to do anything just let him be and he'll work it out and I did work it out I worked it all out I just sort of remember getting the the Sun newspaper and seeing auditions and I'm thinking oh auditions that sounds so theatrical I wonder what that's about and it was um, a job for male dancers for um, tap dancers for no no Nanette theatre production, an an amateur theatre production. So I went along to that and I got that and I was tap dancing and I was singing and I was doing all these things and then they were like, you should get yourself an agent and I was like, what's that? I said, we'll get some photos and you send it off. We did that, ended up becoming um, quite a successful um, uh, extra, doing extra work as a kid. There's stuff out there of me as a kid. And I did it all on my own. I did. A, I joined a modelling agency and and <laughs> did that all on my own. Um, the whole lot. So, and my, you know, my my mum and dad they were really proud of me to do that because they didn't know what the fuck to do with me. You know, they just thought just let him go. And I did all that. And then, of course, I go to Sydney and, and become a drag queen and everything. And ring up my mum and dad and say, um, oh, listen, you know. I'm gay. Uh, yeah, tell us something we don't know. <laughs> and everything, and then ring them back and say, oh, I've got a girl pregnant. Oh, look, we can't keep up with you. And my dad was like, look, dude, look, Rich, just keep it to yourself, will you? We can't keep up with you. Oh, all right, Dad, I will. And um, 
so he didn't get to to uh, live to see me do the Priscilla uh, or the Priscilla thing or do, doing the Olympics sitting Were you you rode the stiletto didn't I you on the yeah bus? I was in yeah. the stiletto and, she, and my mum was in her deathbed and apparently I found out years later that my brother said that she was watching and I you know like a big close up of me in the in the silver shoe with all the flames and everything and she, she said oh pull these bloody plugs out with me I've seen everything now <laughs> I'm ready to go that's I've, enough that's enough I don't need any more I'm proud of him so you know that's you know I, I did what I wanted to I wanted them to make me pr- be proud of me and they were so that's great yeah, I think that that's all we want from our folks, don't we? Just Absolutely. The, the, their love and, and uh, their approval. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally, totally. So coming to Sydney about 1979... Yeah. Uh, you Patches. Patches. You were a drag addict. Absolutely. At Patches, which is, uh, became DCM after that, didn't it? Yeah, well, on, when on, I say drag, a, dra- drag addict, it was like... I'd go to all the all lay girls and um, pokies and do all the stuff in Melbourne and see all of them. So it was like m- nothing brand new to me. I was like, and I and I, to this day I say that Melbourne is the best drag capital. Well, a wonderful Doug Lucas. There the wonderful Doug Lucas yeah. um, became friends. He told me that he said uh, I, I did an interview. When he read somewhere that I'd said that um, I started out in Sydney, and he said, "No, you didn't. You started here." You started at Blades, uh, 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 at um, Annabelle's. And I said, no, I didn't. He said, yes, you did. You're off your fucking head. He said, you came out and you did the disco duck. And as soon as he said that, I thought, <laughs> and I could imagine myself doing it. I thought, I fucking did too. He said, you came out doing the disco duck. You brought the house down and you won. And so it's like, so drag did start earlier than what I thought it would. What it did. So, yeah. Who, who were the queens on the scene that, uh, that that were impressing you? I know there were performers like Trixie Lamont. Well, Trixie was incredible on the microphone. Um, I think that she, there was her and Simone Simone from Simone Troy. Their patter on the microphone was just sublime. It was just uh, just quite incredible. If you weren't pissed when you went in there, you were pissed. You felt pissed by the time you left. And I thought that was just genius that someone could do that. Because that happened to me many a times. It's, you know, it was like, how, how can that somebody just take take the whole room and make them feel this sort of, like, sensation? <laughs> Incredible. Just amazing. The, the, the two of them. Um, oh, Mona. Mona was incredible. And it's incredibly beautiful. Incredibly beautiful. Um, and how do you enter the scene? I, a talent quest? Um, yeah, it was a talent quest. And then it was like, you know, good thinking. It was like, well, listen, if you do this talent quest, right, there's no one here that knows you. So if you're tragic, it's going to be okay. That's what was my way of thinking. Yeah. Now, I couldn't have done that in Melbourne because I knew everybody and they would have been watching out for me. But because I didn't know anybody, it was really easy to do. And I just didn't say so matter of fact. And I remember I did the talent quest, and then I kept on getting called back. And it was like, what's this all about? And it was Trixie's genius. It was like, you come back next week, love. And like, all right. And I kept coming back and never winning or never coming second or third. And then once I came third, I think, 
and she said just once she came third and she said at the end of it she said and we want her back every week don't we and it was that simple and so then from going from abs having no money no job nothing to working five nights a week at patches and did that for I don't know how many years. Yeah. For years. Can you recall the number you did in the Tunnet Quest? Yeah, I did a sure song called A Love Like Yours Don't Keep Knocking Every Day. I did Sonny's, verse, Sonny's voice and her voice. So I turned sideways and do her voice and then turned the other way and had Sonny's face down the other side. And that's how I won. Right. What, what are you learning about makeup and wigs and costumes, uh, dress frocks and uh, glamour at that point? Oh. Did, you, did you have a, a mentor, chief mentor? Well, there was no fucking Google, I know that much. <laughs> and that's why, you know, I blame Google for fucking everything. You have to learn to do it yourself, and yep. um, there's no better way of doing it. Um, but now you just push a button and you can see exactly what to do and how to look and blah, 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 blah. And it was like, no, I prefer to do it the old way. If you fall over, you've got to fucking dust yourself up and get up and try again. And that's all I ever did. Not that I... Well, I did fall over once out of cerebral image, didn't I? But... Um, <laughs> <coughs> Anyway, so, yeah, and so then I just started getting all this work and was working at the Exchange Hotel, Club 45, which was next door to uh, Patches, um, which is also called DCMs now. People don't know where Patches is. Um, Strand Arcade, the Aubrey Hotel, and then we'd do... uh, We'd drive to Canberra and do shows in Canberra um, yeah, and then you know, occasionally we'd get to do things, you know, like in Brisbane, Adelaide, just go, you know, random things, and end up going to Shanghai twice. Did uh, d- did shows in Shanghai and Hong Kong. Yeah, so she was the flavour of the month for quite a while. Well, I saw you on stage quite a bit in Perth. In Perth. There in the late 90s, you were there. Yeah, I was in the Perth in the late 90s. That was after Priscilla had, had uh, well, taken off. Yeah. Why the move to Perth? Um, felt like that I'd rung Sydney out to dry. I was just like, I done, had done everything, you know. And I'm not pissing in my own pocket, but I'd starred in every fucking production that possibly could have at the Horden Hotel, at the Horden Pavilion. Um, I did Midsummer Night's Dream at the Opera House with Richard Werrett. Um, it was like, can I can I do any more? Like, really, I've just I've done I've, I've done it all, um, and I needed to um, yeah, well, I just needed to dry out, and um, 
and start again, which I did. Recharge the Recharge that dirty old battery, yes, love. That's it. So we did that and we came back and, you know, it, it's not the same. A whole new generation of, um, of drag queens taken over Sydney and um, they're all fabulous. Pity they're ugly, but <laughs> they're fabulous. Tell me about the show bags. The show bags. That was Miss 3D, UV83, and Pat Gently, who was known as Twisty, who was the uh, the salaman at the Aubrey Hotel. And it was his idea. He'd seen us out and just thought, we need to have a show for the Aubrey to call ourselves. Um, call it home, you know, like, just do it. And it, like, the Aubrey shows were incredible when we'd be packed every night you know every time we did shows and it went on for about i think i worked there for about seven years at the old aubrey which was fabulous with uh lee jennings and nanette theakston they had the place and i remember being a, a just a punter just sitting in there one day and i said to the barman you know you should have a drag show here if you put a little matchbox of a stage just there and pointing to the place where it ended up becoming the stage, just a little stage there, he said, you've got, you've got the, 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 um, the hallway there, you could get dressed there, you could do da, 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 da. Anyway, he re relayed that back to Lee Jennings. And the next thing I know, Lee Jennings was starting to have birthday parties and uh, Karen Chant and sort of odd people would come and do things and then he said we're about to celebrate our first birthday here at the Aubrey Hotel do you want to do a show with us and I went yeah alright and he said well because um, it's our first birthday could you do Happy Birthday Mr President by Marilyn Monroe and I went yeah, yeah alright and he got all the barmen to carry me out and, and put me on the stage and that was his sort of way of saying thank you for giving us the idea to at the stage have shows and like they made a fucking fortune yeah, yeah. Did it, and it was just the best place a lot of people met there you know people you know it now it's now it's an Adidas store an Adidas store but yeah. isn't it um, I thought it had something to do with the um, the hospital too no no no, no isn't no, that uh, upstairs no no no, no. no, no St. Vincent's have just bought the green part oh have they mm, mm, mm. oh right so, so do you have any skills of choreography or dressmaking? No. No. <laughs> Give me a 450 gun and I'm fucking a whiz. I bit can, of glue. Bit of glue. Um, um, oh, pity your punters can't see my beautiful home. It's all done with 450 glue. Is it the, the, the ceiling, the walls? It's oh, we do gorgeous. everything. Though. We yeah. do everything here. That's what I do. I sit here and if we have to make some jewellery, I just it off the wall just whack a bit of hot glue on it and wear it <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so your, your choreography your dance was generally improvised was it absolutely yeah. I'm a mover yeah. not a dancer no. <laughs> <laughs> the three C's tell me about them the three C's oh that was me Chanel Saint Laurent and uh, Christy Christine Christine, what was her other name? 
oh, she'll hate me for that. But she was the first Xanadu. She did Xanadu the first time. It was, and I saw it at Stranded. Christine. Uh, you know her. Hello, love. Yeah, yeah I, I know, know who you mean, but I don't know her second name. Yeah. She's still with us, God love her. And Chanel. We, yeah, we yes, I, was okay. I was just checking my notes. I've only got Christina. Christina? Yeah. Yeah, Christina. Yeah, no, no, the, no, the second name, yeah. Christina, that's right. She changed it to something like... Angel Andrews. Angel Andrews, absolutely. <laughs> I'm glad one of us has done the research. <laughs> Angel Andrews. Now, you wouldn't spring that as being a drag queen, would you? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> what, what makes a good drag name? A good drag name? I don't know. Aisha's a pretty good name. Aisha's fabulous. Anaphylactic. She's from Hong Kong, really. <laughs> Anaphylactic. Anaphylactic. I like barbed wire. <laughs> <laughs> um, mixed company. There's mixed company. Julie Ashton. Ginger Benson. Polly Petrie. Krista Bonifant. Teresa Green. Sarah Pax. Uh, that's a good drag note too, isn't it, Sarah Bags? Um, yes, th- that was our group that we called Mix Company and we, we worked at Stranded and did uh, Canberra. We, we do Canberra, yeah, a couple of, couple of times a, a week, yeah. So, so quite uh, a prominent presence on the scene in the 80s. You, yeah. you played many of those iconic parties like Mardi Gras, Sleazeball, Bacchanalia, Rat and the Sweatbox parties. Yes. Did you have a, a highlight amongst all of that? Um, I, 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 I remember working at Patches and w- there was a DJ called Paul Holden and he was a very cute boy and very shy and kept to himself and didn't sort of like uh, open up t- to you just to come back to the dressing room and get the the running order and go back and not say very much, which is fine. It was all very good. Anyway, I just th- I just thought he didn't like me. And anyway, he started the bacchanalia thing, and he said to me one night, "Can I speak to you for a minute?" And I went, "Yeah." He said, "I'm doing this thing bacchanalia at the Horden Pavilion." Blah, 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 blah. And we've decided that um, him and his boyfriend, Mark, that you're our token girl. That we want you to do the shows. I said, but you don't even like me. He said, yes, I do. And I said, you've never... This is the first conversation we've ever had. And he said, yeah, because I've just been in awe of you. And I'm like, really? And I said, do you want to do it? And I said, yeah. And he was like, you can just do anything you want. We don't care. He'd been watching me for years, so he knew my style. He knew what was going to... So he said, all you've got to do is just work around the name. What you know? So if it's a, um, a beach party... Uh, you know, like a winter party, blah, blah, blah. whatever you see, you do, and that's exactly what I did. And um, so that sort of like started me off. Uh, you know, it was, drag is such an incredible thing because in those early days, you can just trial and error everything and see how and see how you go. And so. I remember I never did the same number twice except for Xanadu, which I did every, everywhere, everywhere I went, everywhere and said, just do Xanadu. But um, other than that, I did a different song, so I was being cre- uh, 
creating something new nearly every every night I worked. You F- know? Folks talk about the 94 Mardi Gras party when you're in a cherry picker with uh, Always On My Mind. Yeah, that was pretty special. Yeah. That was pretty special. That that happened. And uh, and then I'd have a, a, you know, a huge budget, <laughs> you know, 500 bucks or something, which was huge in those days. And I'd, you know, just get a girlfriend to make me a frock and... And I do remember um, always on my mind. I was thinking uh, it's got to be sweetheart neckline, and it's got to be covered in ruby, ruby coloured, uh, ruby coloured gems, and it's got to be a fishtail. And blah, blah, blah. and I, and I would say this, and Stuart, uh, Stuart, whose mate still makes my clothes to this day just listen to the way I described things and just would go and make these things and he made me the most wonderful dress and I remember having the dress and being in this cherry picker on the day of the of the show and Richard Cobden just pulled past another fabulous girlfriend <laughs> just pulled past and said you know what he said you've all that introduction bit he said she should be just sticking your head over the top of a huge heart he said and then just break through it and comes through and it was like uh, the break the heart's now it's even though it's broken you're complete in the dress with all the shattered pieces of ruby and he said it'll just be brilliant and that's exactly what we did and it was and there wasn't a dry eye dry eye in the house it was probably one of the best performance i've done i think you've been awarded uh, the diva entertainer of the year twice twice yes don't ask me what I, where they are. I think I gave them out. Probably sold them at the taxi club. Threw them away. No, I'd, I'd, I'd go to the taxi club and give them out. Can you buy me a drink, love? I hear. Have my diva award, love. But it must be lovely to be acknowledged by your peers. Well, yeah, but it's a, it's a all about sort of. Um, that's not what you do it for. No. It's like so. It all becomes a little bit sort of like yeah, all right. And that at the same time, in saying that, was like, well, you better, you know, I could never be lazy with what I was doing. It was like, well, you've won, you know, you're the entertainer of the year, so you've got to do something and live up to it. And, and I did. You haven't taken yourself too seriously, I, I gather from this chat. Oh, Is I did. Think, oh, no, I did for a while. I got right up myself there right. for a while. I remember when I was doing Midsummer Night's Dream, and I'd be like, Wah. and then. I had a while I was doing the rehearsals of Midsummer Night's Dream thinking this is the absolute ultimate where I would you know walk to the opera house every day you know like half past eight in the morning go through the park and go that way to to a rehearsal room and thinking this is just like the ultimate really it's like it can't get much better legitimate Theater. Well, that was it, and I do remember Terry Ryan saying to me, Terry Terry Ryan, who made the costumes, a, a brilliant costume designer, saying to me one day, Richie, just remember, you're not just a drag queen. He said you're an actor, and I thought oh, I am too, and it was like yeah, that sort of like hit me as being you know pretty fabulous. But you know there was a part of me that was like still being. Um, Overriding everything, where Richard, where we had a uh, a, uh, a pre-opening night rehearsal, kind of full dress rehearsal, 
and uh, so I stood there and they said, you know, Richie can, Richie can do his own makeup, blah blah blah. So I thought, oh, okay then. So makeup, I came out for the for the photo shoot, and the whole place just like looked at me and I was like, like that seen a ghost, and the dramaturg went, oh my god, he actually went, oh my god. I said, what? And I said, look, it's big, yeah, sure, it's big. I said, but someone's got to see, that person's got to sit in that top seat up there. I want them to see my makeup. <laughs> and it was like absolutely huge and so big. <coughs> and I said, Richard, where can I see you for a minute? You know, I <laughs> took Richard Weir outside and said, listen, love, you could get anybody to play this role if you wanted to. I said, but if you get somebody else to do my makeup, I said, you're going to lose me as Cindy. And I said, no, I'm going to be lost. I won't fucking know what's going on. So you've got to put up with what, you've, what, what you're going to get. And he stood there and I thought, oh, my God, I've got that out. And he said, you know what, Richie, you're totally right. He said, but just tone it down a bit, will you? Yeah, sure, love. <laughs> so that's how I sort of like, you know. I just love that I have. Well, I look at that now and I think, think about it and think, wow, you had a lot of guts to be able to do that. But it was kind of true. It was like I couldn't stand someone else doing my makeup. Mm. I'd be lost. Mm. Is retirement in your vocabulary? Um, well, because I'm so lazy, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but you know? you're still performing, aren't you? I'm performing right now. <laughs> true, true. Um, as soon as, this, as soon as we finish this Asian Idol, we don't talk for weeks. <laughs> this is all show. <laughs> would, would you ever consider writing a book? I would consider writing a book, but that's got that thing with the cerebral hemorrhage thing where I can't do what I used to do. I just I can't flow it out the way that I do it. But I've still got the, you know, I'm, I'm touched some fucking wood. I still remember things that um, that mean most, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I, w- I will write a book. And it's not as if I haven't got enough photos to show. Yeah. Photos set me off. If I see a photo, I can go back and do it, and I could work well that way. Someone said, get yourself a, a, a dictaphone, um, you know, like a little. Recording. I had people a th- keep asking me to write a book, and I said, "Look, I don't really want to because these books, people read them and then you know, throw them away. Throw them away." So I think, no, I want to keep all my secrets. Yes, but that's very nice for you, darling. But it's not about you. This no. is all about me. <laughs> I know. But, uh, <laughs> We're both Leos. That's, that's the other thing we've got, Carol. We're both Leos and we throw it at each other a case a bit. Her book would be just as good as mine. Well, probably better. Uh, what would you call your book, Aisha? For the term of my unnatural life. I'd buy that. I'd buy that. <laughs> it's less than 30 bucks. <laughs> and uh, is everybody happy for yours? Is everybody happy? Yeah. yeah. I suppose it'd have to be that. Well, I think everybody who's listening to this is, is very happy. It's been a fantastic chat, Richie. Oh, look, thank you so much. I'm yeah. glad I didn't frock up. I love that part where I, you asked me, if, would I? Uh, you didn't even ask us, do you want me to be in drag? Because I actually have done radio and I have been in drag. Right. With uh, Philip Adams. I did a, oh. a program for the ABC radio with Philip Adams and I did The Crying Game by Boy George. 
and it was hysterical because I'm doing it and I'm really deep and and he's going oh now Richie's putting his hand in his right hand pocket and pulling out a wig and placing the wig on his head and I'm trying to do this deep meaningful so yeah he was doing this whole sort of like talk spot over the top of the crime game it was brilliant it was brilliant so anyway, yeah, so is everybody happy? Good. Keep yeah. it to yourself. <laughs> How do you go, Aisha? Did that sound all right? It's fabulous. I don't see, I, I listen to because I don't all know all of this. Right. So you've learned a few things. Yeah. yeah. Richie, thank you. Thank you. I cannot tell you how much fun I had recording this episode. Not one, but two drag legends appearing in the same conversation. How wonderful to get that surprise visit and comment from Aisha. She too is an absolute delight. Thank you to my guests in this episode, Cindy Pastel and Aisha. Happy Mardi Gras to you both and thanks for the fabulousness over many years. Join me in the next episode which will feature the final guest in this series of conversations coinciding with Sydney Mardi Gras and opening season five of The Stages podcast. My guest will be everyone's favourite, Vanessa Wagner, a.k.a. Tobin Saunders. You're not going to want to miss that one. Nor should you miss any Stages conversation. Check out the website www.stagespodcast.com.au I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, and I'll catch you next time.